Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild. That's about it. Hey, is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute, and... Still in Minnesota. My name is Ashley Van Houten. I can beat you because I'm in Ontario, so I think it's even colder. Yes. Um, I'm a health and fitness podcaster. I'm a cookbook author, and I am also a former competitive bodybuilder. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to start just with a, a few bits of news, and then I'm going to try to get out of the way and let Dr. Nelson uh Lead this one, uh, I did want to offer one tidbit from a listener. I just got this, and I just thought it was very cool. We have some very cool listeners. This is from Joe. We'll just leave it at that, Joe. He says, uh, hi, guys. I just writing to let you know I made a donation to the website, uh, catching up on episodes. I heard Lonnie's mic was on the fritz, and you had to get a new one. Um, so everybody, if I sound different today, that's why I'm using some headset patching work here. Um, and he said, it reminded me I missed the fall funds drive, so hopefully this will help with the bills. After years of listening so much uh, to the nutrition and lifting knowledge, um, this is just second nature. Uh, it's worth much more than the donation, but it's a start. Happy to be in a position to be able to afford a donation and support you guys so young lift- lifters have a place to find some extremely helpful, unbiased information. Keep it up, Joe. So thanks, awesome. Joe. That's thanks, Joe. Just cool. <clears throat> just cool. All right, uh, quickly to the news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. I promised some of this last week. This first one uh, came through Biomed Central, just sort of a a clearinghouse, of course, search. Uh, Vegans and vegetarians and pescatarians, so of course those who eat fish, may be at higher risk of bone fractures than meat eaters. And this came to my attention, and we were just discussing this before we hit the record button, everybody, that uh, Mike and I actually authored a book. Uh, It's the one Phil's on the cover, in fact. And and it's basically that, you know, higher meat, higher protein diets don't weaken your bones, among other things. That's one of the chapters. Uh, And here's some evidence, I think, to back us up. Uh, Not that we didn't have evidence in the book. We had plenty of it. Um, But this is a new one. Compared with people who eat meat... Vegans with lower calcium and protein intakes on average had a 43% higher risk of fractures anywhere in the body, 
that is total fractures, as well as higher risk of site-specific fractures in the hips, legs, and vertebrae, uh, according to a new study that was published in BMC Medicine. It says, however, the risk of fractures was partly reduced once body mass index and a few other factors were taken into account, uh, including uh, calcium and protein intake. Now, I find it odd that they would correct for calcium and protein intake because isn't that kind of the point? Yeah, uh, isn't that the point of their study? <laughs> yeah. BMI, I get, right? We all know B- your body mass index <clears throat> is a huge influence on your bone density. Big dudes, strong bones, yeah. right? And, and gals too, of course. Uh, Dr. Tammy Tong of Oxford was the lead author. She said this is the first comprehensive study to look at the risk of both total and site-specific fractures in different diet groups. Here, here's the bad news if you don't eat any meat, I suppose, at least in this perspective. Uh, we found vegans had a higher risk of total fractures that resulted in about 20 more cases per 1,000 over a 10-year period compared to the meat eaters. The biggest difference was for hip fractures where the risk in vegans was 2.3 times higher those who ate meat. Uh, the data was analyzed from about 55,000 people. Uh, in the UK, men and women that uh, did or did not eat meat. In fact, I found these numbers interesting. If you want an idea, at least if you're from the UK, about how many people are omnivorous versus, you know, uh, vegetarian, etc. Of the 55,000, 29,000 ate meat, 8,000 ate fish, but not meat. 15,000 roughly were vegetarians, and about 2,000 were straight-up vegans. Hmm. So just to break that down. Actually, that's a little bit higher on the vegetarian than I would have guessed, but interesting. Um, uh, They did say that previous studies have shown that a low BMI itself is associated with higher risk of fractures. So, yeah, we know that. And then they make the caveat that more studies are needed. But uh, if you are a big meat eater, if you're sort of a tyrannosaur like Phil, then... You know, you win, <laughs> according to this, at least as far as bone density. Now, this is associations, right? I mean, so many of the studies that we're looking at these days, are they're not direct, like, you know, meat intervention trial. But it is interesting to, to know. The next one we have here, uh, I mentioned last time as well. New study links cadmium to more severe flu and pneumonia infections. So this is a big deal. Uh, these days, people are all doing things like taking vitamin D and whatnot, trying to reduce their you know, risk of maybe being hospitalized, which nobody can afford these days if you live in the States. Uh, Ashley, you Canadians, you don't have as much of a problem. This, but, <laughs> Not quite. But we do. Um, so this is from uh, Nardi Bickle, uh, and it comes through, it looks like University of Michigan. It says high levels of cadmium, a chemical found in cigarettes and in contaminated veg, are associated with higher death rates in patients with influenza or pneumonia and may increase the severity of COVID-19 and other respiratory viruses, according to a new study. Uh, Here's a quote. Our study suggests the public in general, both smokers and non-smokers, could benefit from the reduced exposure to cadmium, uh, according to lead author Sung Kyun Park. Apparently, long-term exposure to cadmium, even at low levels, can undermine our defense uh, system in the lungs. Uh, Again, they're looking at associations here. uh, But the associations we found need to be verified in other populations. But unfortunately, the human body finds it very difficult to excrete cadmium once you get it in you. Um, It says even compared to other toxic metals. And that's interesting. Um, 
But anyway, it's present in many nutritious foods means it's critical to try to reduce cadmium pollution, essentially, because the tobacco plant takes up cadmium, but, you know, other plants will too. So it says they use data from NHANES up through 2006, the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. Um, After adjusting for age, sex, race, education, body mass index, serum cholesterol, and hypertension, so they're really trying to control for these things, researchers found that patients with cadmium levels in the 80th percentile were 15% more likely to die of flu or pneumonia compared with those below the 20th percentile, so people that aren't as contaminated. Now, this is sort of what I thought about our listeners. What are some of the foods uh, that you should be aware of? Cereal, rice, organ meats, uh, such as liver and kidney, soybeans, and leafy vegetables. Mm. Well, well, damn. Like, there go a lot of... (laughs) (laughs) carb and protein sources. And this is one of those things where, again, I keep threatening I'm going to write an article about, you know, what may I eat. But it's one more thing to think about that, you know, plants will take up, you know, minerals, uh, metals from the soil. Um, So something to think about, I suppose, that we might not have thought about before. But 15% higher risk, ain't nobody down here in the States have money for that. So, Mm. and then... The last one, let me just share, um, Britain to restrict promotion of unhealthy foods starting in April 2022. So this is pretty controversial. You know, it depends on how much, you know, you're into personal freedoms and all of that sort of thing. But Reuters, Reuters uh, from London, Britain will ban buy one, get one free promotions for foods high in fat, sugar or salt, as well as free refills. Uh, of sugary soft drinks uh, in restaurants starting in April of 2022. The government said on Monday uh, its latest plan to try to tackle the obesity epidemic. Uh, Much like Americans, about two-thirds of adults in England are overweight. Uh, One in three children leaving primary school are overweight or obese. So unlike the U.S., I think, uh, my experience, in fact, I once wrote an article for an Oxford journal that suggested just this, that Britain, the government takes a little bit more responsibility in trying to control this stuff, whereas, you know, we're so capitalistic in the U.S., we're just like free market kind of people, so we don't limit this as much. Uh, some of details, uh, the measures will also restrict where in-store promotions on such products can be advertised, unhealthy promotions – And see, that's that kind of loaded word. Mm -hmm. How do you define healthy? And I know they're saying low sugar, low fat kind of thing, but uh, will not be allowed at the checkout counter, entrances to stores, or the ends of aisles. Uh, They hope that the measures will make it easier to make a healthy choice in your diet by not having stuff in your face so much. They also announced measures such as banning TV and online adverts for junk food. So taking an active role in, you know, I I suppose a negative person, a devil's advocate could say in your choice, right? I mean, like if you're on a keto diet, now you don't, you, you don't have as much awareness maybe of some higher fat food options that maybe you would eat, you know, like, you know, is saturated fat bad? That's a loaded discussion in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, so Britain's getting in on it, so... 
could you could make the argument. I mean, this is such, this could be an entire podcast on its own, talking about the you know freedom of choice and and our ability to kind of make up our minds for ourselves. But you could argue that we also are having choices made for us by how much junk food is being shoved down our throats figuratively all the time, the way that it's marketed, the way that it's, you know, the the grocery store is laid out and things like that. Like if we think that that isn't influencing us in any way, that's kind of crazy. But I I also wonder, like, if you think back, and I don't know if this is the case everywhere um, in the world, or I think certainly in Canada, that we like, you know, started putting cigarettes like sort of behind a a thing instead of like right in front of the, the, counter at the corner store right did that stop people from smoking i don't know like people still know they're there people still want their cigarettes so it's kind of the same thing like i wonder if that that sort of thing actually is as effective as people would like to think no agreed in fact you know what in class just this past week we were talking about how other countries limit especially in more vulnerable populations like kids i mean look at boxes of kids cereals and stuff like that cartoon characters and colorful this and that and you know they're purposely going after these kids to nag mom and dad to buy to buy the sugar bomb cereal you know and other countries try to limit how many minutes a day right after school for example that kids might get that um you know and here in the states we're uh, we commoditize everything and so capitalism is going to we're not going to be as likely to do some of those things. But my concern would be more like, yes, I agree. Like adults, totes, adults have a, a capacity to make informed consent. Kids, maybe not so much. But uh, I tend to err on the side that this is – it's well-meaning. It's all going to come down to the execution, you know, like how well that works. But I think it could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, do, I do this weird thing with my kids. I tell them No. <laughs> and, and it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a crazy man. What are oh, you doing? God, I know. Such a bad parent. Bad parent. You can't have the whole box of candy. No. <laughs> mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I would love to see like a follow up study, you know, in Britain to see, like you said, Lonnie, like you said, Ashley, did it work? Because I think like even with. <clears throat> adults and cigarettes like i haven't looked at any of the data but we must have data now in places that have tried to make it more restrictive and increase the price and i haven't looked at any of that data but my gut feeling at least for adults and those types of products is i don't think it's going to change a whole lot but with kids it's different but i would love to see a follow-up study to see you know that what they implemented did that actually move the needle did it make any difference at all yeah, I think something dramatic has to be done, like some kind of organizing on some level, because everything that we've been trying to do in exercise, fizz, and nutrition for the past decades has done nothing or very little yeah. to curb the growth of obesity, right? The, the food marketing is is more sexy than a dietitian being like, you know, eat your beans and, and your whole grains and your green leafies, and it's there just it's really Have hard. Have an apple. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Sure. Like, like they're going to go right for that. Although, you know, if they grow up in the right kind of environment, maybe they might do that every once in a while. So it is, it is, I think, uniquely difficult to approach in the States and and to a slightly lesser extent, but still there in Canada, because we're very similar in a lot of ways. And I understand, you know, the culture and capitalism and how, you know, if you say, if we, if we give a little here, then what about our, our liberties in every other area of life? But I, I feel like with food specifically, it is such a, 
pressing problem that we obviously have proven we do not know how to self-regulate, right? Like I remember an example of this that was big a few years ago when I was living in New York City, um, they were doing that soda tax, right? Where it was like, yeah. you were taxing over like a certain ridiculous size of a soda and people were like losing their shit. And I'm like, really, we're not taking away anybody's right to drink four liters of soda in a day. You just have to buy three or four instead of one and it might cost you 10 cents more. But we have proven that we don't know how to moderate this stuff we don't know and and at what point at what low point do we hit in society where so many people are sick and spending so much more money at the hospital because they don't want to spend money buying beverages right where do we where does that line get crossed and no one seems to know and no one seems to want to deal with it they just want what they want immediately and they don't want to be told no and i just i don't know how i mean that's such a bigger cultural question how you how you approach that. But I remember thinking like, you know, is it that bad that you have to buy 16 ounces of soda for 50 cents instead of 42? Like, really, is that the problem that we're, is that the hill we're going to die on here? Like, I just, I don't know. It's, it's a problem. Yeah. We've all seen data where like in a buffet line, people just eat more, you know, when, oh, when yeah. human beings, yeah, you're presented more food, you eat more food, you know? Oh. And if you've got a 64 ounce big gulp of Mountain Dew in front of you, you're going to probably drink that down. You know? Well, we forget that that's evolutionary, how we're wired, right? If you can go to the store and get 500 calories for, you know, $2, you're, you're in, that's a good thing, right? From your body's like, ooh, it's cheap. It doesn't cost me much. Hell, I can even tap a button on my phone and have it delivered to my house. I don't even have to get off my ass now. Mm-hmm. We're kind of wired for that efficiency. So we kind of have to override all of that, which we've shown, are we're generally not very good at. <laughs> yeah, survival, right? Evolution, yeah. survival, really. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Ashley. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm excited, especially for getting up early there. <laughs> I mean, it's not that early. I kind of <laughs> feel like lazy ass saying that, but I'm a, I'm a night owl, right? So I uh. wake up like. You know, seven thirty-eight. I don't have kids, so I have the the freedom to do that. And I I'm usually pretty alert, but I don't like to do things before like ten a.m. So you know, I'm I'm rallying pretty hard. I'm I'm chugging the coffee back here. That's all right. No, nothing wrong with that. I posted my no sleep on social media the other day, and I was averaging ten hours every night like yeah, this past I week. <laughs> How does somebody sleep for eleven hours straight? Truly, like I please teach me because I don't think I've ever done that before in my life. I don't know, to be honest. I think it's like try to squat three to five days a week and exercise a lot more and then not stop doing anything else. And I'm like, huh, mm-hmm. I'm tired. Maybe I'll just play the game of how early can I go to bed. And I I kept waking up at the same time and going to bed earlier. So I don't know. It's <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Um, so if we get into your origin story, how did you get into the whole fitness thing? Obviously, you've competed in, in shows and now you're in more of a kind of an education role, and you've got a new book that's out now we'll talk about. So how did that all start for you? Yeah, I just, um, I've, I've always been interested in sort of human performance, just from more of a, a observer, bystander uh, standpoint. I think I just grew up, you know, with older brothers, and I, I watched a lot of wrestling and American Gladiators and World's Strongest Man and things like that. And I just sort of always loved strength and muscles and and what the human body was capable of. And so um, it really was sort of more of a hobby for me until 
really probably until I graduated university and, and sort of found some some sports that I had some aptitude in. I mean, I grew up doing things like swimming and gymnastics and stuff like that, but I, I never really considered myself much of an athlete. Um, and then when I got out of university, I started dabbling in things like powerlifting and CrossFit when it was kind of big back in like 2008-ish. Um, and as I was sort of learning more about my body and kind of understanding that maybe I was more athletic than I thought I was and was interested in these things. And I was also in my twenties where I just started to hit the point where I needed to actually take care of myself and not just eat whatever, do whatever, and still kind of try to work out the next day. Um, all of these things were kind of coming together, um, to maybe kind of show me that this was something I wanted to do uh, for a living as well as just for fun. And I had gone to school for um, marketing and communications and I love to write and I love to research and learn and read and interview. Um, but I was working in a corporate kind of environment at the time and just sort of dabbling in this stuff on the side. And it really sort of took me probably five to seven years to kind of get out of the corporate world and into more of a freelance entrepreneur kind of situation where I was making my own work and, and making my own jobs, um, starting with uh, like freelance writing for a number of publications, um, things like Paleo Magazine and, and stuff like that, where I got to interview really smart, awesome people kind of at the leading edge of um, nutrition and wellness and ancestral health, which is something that I um, I kind of... Well, that's sort of how I live my life personally anyway. Um, and yeah, so it just kind of slowly kind of steamrolled the more that I worked and the more that I kind of got into it and was learning about it for my own personal uh, wellness. Um, it ended up that I just sort of went whole hog and now I, I've got my podcast, I'm writing books and I'm a health coach and I was doing some, um, yes, yeah, kind of some competing and, and fitness stuff myself, which I'm still kind of into. It just has sort of been on hold considering I have been to the gym you know, six times in the last eight months or so. It's kind of rough over here. But um, yeah, I'm really fortunate. I'm really fortunate to do the work that I do where I basically get to learn for a living um, and talk to really smart people and also share what I'm learning with others and help people more than anything, not tell people what to do, but really what my goal is, is to just empower people to learn for themselves and figure things out for themselves. So I may have my own opinions about what I think is um, the best or, or most optimal way to, to eat and work out, you know, cough, cough, organ meats and weightlifting. But <laughs> I... I want people to just understand how to gather information, understand how to try things out and experiment on themselves and to not kind of get too wrapped up in, um, in you know, tribalism and all of this stuff that makes people feel like they just want to yell at each other and prove each other right or wrong and just kind of learn for yourself and make it a journey and have fun with it. Um, and that's what I've been doing and I'm just having a lot of fun. Awesome. And you did a, a show, so tell us a little bit more about that. Like, how did it go, and what uh, kind of made you go that direction too? Do you mean the the bodybuilding? Yeah, yeah. So that was um, a little bit later. I think I did my first. I, I competed in figure, and I think I did that. Um, I was like twenty nine when I did my first competition, and it literally was. It's so kind of cliche, but it was just one of those things where I'd been working out since I was sixteen, and like 
doing bicep curls and stuff because I kind of never I was like a little bit I was like maybe the generation just before everybody started doing just squats all the time so I was very like upper <laughs> body focused which I think is atypical for women also again I think it was like the gymnastics I just I've always been really like upper body focus which I don't think is maybe or wasn't always normal but anyway um and I just had people tell me like hey you should do this sometime like you should do a show like you got you know great delts whatever and I was like eh, I can't eat properly for three months that's not happening and I think at just <laughs> one point I just you know hit hit a I was looking for something to do I really was looking for a challenge and I wanted to in the spirit of kind of constantly um experimenting I wanted to just try I wanted to see if I was capable of um, following a really rigid plan. I wanted to see what my body was capable of doing and, and what it would look like to see my abs for the first time and all that good stuff. So um, I did it and I I did pretty well. I mean, I won I won the first competition. I, I made it to like a national level within three competitions and I just, I really enjoyed it. I think going into it a little bit, I say later in life, I was in my late 20s, but I think a lot of people who maybe get into it when they're really young, um, I guess I'm I'm generalizing, but I just think the fact that I was a little bit older, a little bit more kind of um, comfortable with myself, I really didn't go into it like trying to prove anything to anybody but myself. And I think going into it with that kind of more relaxed feeling about it is one of the main reasons why I did so well, because I just didn't really care what happened. I was just like, hey, I, <laughs> I got six pack. Like I won already. I don't care about this. Like I'm very proud of myself. And and so I had a really fun time with it. Um, and I, I remember when I was competing, I was doing a lot of this is actually how I started kind of blogging and like communicating in an online format that uh. wasn't professional because I, I decided like I wanted to start I wanted to show my experience with this because I feel like there's two main um, there's two main stories about um, competitive bodybuilding. And of course, I'm talking amateur, so this is only speaking from my own experience. But there's people who kind of just tell you the glossy parts of their workouts and how good they look and this was so much fun and whatever. And then there's the people who tell you that it is like a horrific environment that is so unhealthy and dysfunctional and it like ruined their lives, right? Like there really isn't a lot of middle road stories around bodybuilding because it is a pretty extreme it's a pretty extreme event, right? Like it's not, it's not uh, easy and it's not normal. And, you know, it can be very problematic and very um, tough for a lot of people. But for me, I just, I just had a, I had a positive experience because I was able to, I think, separate myself and my self-worth from the experience I was having. I was doing it really to learn. And, um, and I, you know, so I, I was able to do it in a relatively healthy way. I, I made sure that I, took the time to find a coach that I really believed um, had the same values as me that was going to help me do this in a way that wasn't going to be destructive to my body and my reproductive health and all of these things. And I really respect um, respect my coach a lot. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it was super fun or super easy all the time and that I would, you know, obviously I stopped when I hit sort of the national level because I was starting to get the inkling that if I wanted to keep going, I had to do some things that I wasn't really willing to do um, health-wise. Um, but I had a really overall positive experience. It was it was really fun. And like I said, I learned a lot. And I think that I was able to sort of be a, even a better coach to people moving forward just because I, I had some of those experiences myself. So um, yeah, I mean, I understand that it's, and I, I still give a lot of people like the very strong caveat because I have a lot of women come to me with sort of the same feeling where they're just like, eh, I just want something to do. Like, should I do a bodybuilding competition? I'm like, ah, 
I don't know. Let's ask a couple more questions. Let's <laughs> ask a couple more questions first. But, um, but yeah, I mean, generally, I just want people to have like more honest and more nuanced conversations about it. Like I have no problem talking about any of the gross or weird or unpleasant parts of it. And I have no problem telling people the honest parts of, of my story. And so I just think that it's, um, it's important for, and as, again, especially, well, not especially women, but I can speak to women because that's what I am. Um, I think it's good for them to know all kind of facets of, of what it takes to do that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think your point about doing it for yourself because you wanted to see what you could do and you were already happy with what you achieved regardless of the placing i think is such a a key because even if you did the best you could you're still being judged compared to a bunch of other people and it's not necessarily on a clear performance either it and i know there's there's rules and there's all that kind of stuff i get it but you know it's just like the Olympics looking at figure skating, right? It's still not as objective as Olympic weightlifting. (laughs) It's like a muscular beauty contest. Absolutely. Like I, I've never had any illusions that it was like an objective thing. And even when I was doing well, like a lot of time I'm like, I don't, I definitely wasn't the buffest person out there. I probably was just the least scared because I didn't give a shit. I was just having a good time. And people can see that, you know, like I, that's one of the things that I, I really kind of, took to heart when I was doing the actual competing part, which again, it's two seconds of the whole thing, right? Like if you can't enjoy the process, then you're really missing out because the 30 seconds you're up on stage is not going to be validating for you. Um, But seeing how stressed out and uncomfortable and freaked out people were backstage was almost the most upsetting part because I'm like, if you really did this to like have this moment for yourself and show off and have a good time and you're so miserable and so freaked out, Um, And comparing yourself to the people next to you, like you're not even enjoying it. And that's the worst part, because as an amateur, you're not making any money. You're not getting like crazy sponsorships or this isn't your career. You're doing this for yourself. And if you can't enjoy any part of it, that's really the unfortunate part. So um, and I would tell people that for any sport, you know, when people want to come to me and say that this is like inherently a like a problematic and dysfunctional sport, I'm like, that can be anything. I've seen lots of dysfunctional crossfitters and powerlifters, gymnasts, and, you know, all kinds of sports, right? So a lot of it, some of them maybe lend themselves a bit more to that kind of attitude, but I think that it's just, it really is, it's, again, it sounds cliche, but that's just because it's true, like, just, you gotta know yourself, you gotta know what's gonna be triggering and rewarding to you you have to like have the right reasons to do anything that's difficult and tedious or else i mean don't waste your time yeah what are your thoughts on that phil and lonnie because i know obviously lonnie you've competed and phil you've got people who've competed all the time and you've competed in many many events yourself like anything i mean you've got you've got everything from overconfident to just frightened to death um and usually it's at the beginning it's the the first like they're just deadly afraid to even step on a powerlifting platform let alone stand up in their underwear on stage yeah Uh, like the amount of people that are afraid to be in a singlet is like come on guys it's like it's covering more than you wear in the gym usually yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah i mean it's it's such an individual basis you got to connect on them one at a time and just make them realize relax it's not the end of the world you're not going to win the olympia you're not breaking you know world records 
go out and have fun. And that's usually my big deal is just trying to keep people to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll keep doing it. If you just do it for fun, and generally you'll do better. Yeah. You know, if you actually go out there and have fun, now you'll start winning things because you're enjoying it. The people that are stressing over it too much, <clears throat> it's like they weigh too much on it. They, they, they're they always looking at the records and this and that. And it's like, just stop. Just stop and go have a blast. And you'll do well. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even the handful of meets I did, I did some powerlifting meets early on, and it was the weirdest thing because, like, I completely knew that there's no way I'm getting any record at all, period. I'm not even remotely close to it. But at the same time, I was just freaked the hell out. And I knew there was no reason to be afraid other than I just hadn't, especially the first one, I just I didn't know what to expect, but I knew enough to know that at the end of the day, it's going to be fine. But I could still feel myself getting like super nervous about it, and it's just a, it's very odd. And then of course you just, I don't know. I just wanted to do it enough till I got to the point where, like you said, it wasn't as big of a deal, and I could just you know chill out and be more relaxed with the the process itself. Yeah, and you always want the nerves there to a bit. Like oh yeah, you don't, you don't have nerves. It just means you don't give a shit at all. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> then you're not gonna try. Um, like I had a meet not too many years ago where I just, I really didn't care and I didn't do that well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, now I'm, I'm able to use it. I look forward to it. You know, I'm, I look forward to meet day and I look forward to that atmosphere. And, uh, but I love training too. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just another day and get in front of the crowd and see what I can do. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just happy to still be doing it. So, <laughs> Yeah. The big part for me was kind of reframing and doing things where I had other people I wanted to be around or a new experience. Or like the first few powerlifting meets I did years ago, I didn't know a single soul. Like I didn't have a coach. My coach was online. I didn't know anything. And for me, that was harder. And then when I started doing just some grip competitions locally, it's like, oh, well, I know all these people, right? Even going to, you know, Finland last year or the year before, it's like, well, I know most of the people there, and I'm just going to go have fun, do the best I can. I'm realistic of who's competing in my weight class, and yeah, some of my lifts are like 100 to 200 pounds below theirs, but it was still a fun experience because I'm like, oh, it's just like hanging out with everyone I want to hang out with in a big gym in a different foreign country, and hey, this is kind of fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll do a short break and then we'll get into the topic of the day, which is talking about uh, women versus men in terms of lifting and exercise and even a little bit about even eating the odd parts of the cow for organ meats. Mm. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. Over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. 
If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes... We are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Right. So we're back here with... Ashley Van Houten and Phil Stevens, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and myself. And the topic of the day is, do we think there's a lot of differences between women versus men in terms of, I guess you could say exercise and maybe even nutrition programming? So I'll have Ashley just kind of start with that very open-ended question. <laughs> oh, geez, I got to start. I thought you guys were going to give me. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing that, that comes just to the top of my head right away, and again, this is not this is completely just anecdotal based on um, my experience and working mostly with women clients. I mean, from the nutrition standpoint, I still, even though I'm in like a bubble of people who are really into fitness and nutrition and things like that, so it's not a typical maybe audience, but even within that audience, I do still have a hard time um, getting women to eat enough and fuel enough and look at food as fuel um, because we have spent so much of our lives, most of us, either being taught or just kind of enacting this this concept that we have to be restricting all the time um, because we're constantly battling this body fat issue, right? So it's incredibly, I find it incredibly difficult um, to convince women who aren't already, you know, athletes who have had to experience this, that you need to eat enough to fuel yourself for muscle growth, which is going to then help you lose fat and look better. It's, it's incredibly difficult to get that through to people. Um, 
unless you just get somebody who's willing to literally try anything because whatever they've been trying isn't working and they're like, all right, I think you're going to make me fat and it's terrible, but I'll just try it for a couple of weeks and see what happens. (laughs) Mm. Um, But it's, it's really, really difficult. And I've even had circumstances where I've worked with, and this is probably a a problem anyway, but like with friends, for example, where we'll be together all the time and they're, what they're trying to do is lose fat and gain muscle, right? Very typical. And we'll kind of walk through what she eats in a day and what I eat in a day. And, you know, if she looked at it on paper, she'd be like, okay, well, you're obviously the big fat one who's eating way too much. Holy shit. Like, look at all this red meat and you're eating like just so many calories and all this stuff. And she's eating a quarter of what I'm eating. And so it helps people maybe like really kind of tangibly take in that this, this equation isn't as simple as they thought it was, you know? Um, but that's, that's by far, um, the biggest, that and recovery, like people actually, and this might be, I think probably the same for men and women, but, um, just people absolutely not prioritizing recovery because it's not sexy and they feel lazy when they're taking a break. Um, cause they haven't really figured out yet that <laughs> recovery is when you get stronger and it's incredibly important, but I would love any advice you guys have because it's incredibly frustrating for me when I'm still trying trying to just get women to eat enough. Like they think muscle is just going to spontaneously appear on their body when they're eating (laughs) 1200 calories a day and like running around for six hours. I just, it's yeah. Mm -hmm. You can sense my frustration. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any any tips on that Lonnie? Well, I think um, women or men, I mean, what's more likely to change in short order strength not mm-hmm. body fat yeah. right so you want to get someone hooked like when i've gotten men or women ready for competitions the first half a year i i always have them go scope out a contest that they would like to compete in you know like the year before mm-hmm. half a year is sort of a you could call it a bulking phase i don't know if i would use that phrase to uh, s- certain women you know or even some guys that like to stay ripped all the time but the the first half of it is just adding some muscle mass, and then they get success, right? When you train regularly uh, on any type of a decent program, strength is going to come quickly, and that's going to build confidence and enthusiasm. We could we could think about the body fat later because I think, to your point, Ashley, that larger engine, you're going to be much more likely, and the mitochondrial density and the other things that come from you know regular um, lifting, uh, proper lifting, you're just going to be setting yourself up to burn through fat more effectively after that that initial gain period, right? right. So, I, I just I just think that yeah, of the two, anybody who's been in exercise uh, programming before, you realize that strength gains are going to come ridiculously fast in comparison to anybody who thinks they're going to get ripped fast enough for it to be a positive motivator, right? Diet and twenty week diets, sixteen week diets, that kind of thing that's delayed gratification and starting there, I think is a lot of people's problem. Yeah. Yeah. And the time commitment too. Like you can train hard for an hour a day and probably do pretty good and have your nutrition be okay. But if you're, you know, really trying to get uber lean, that's a, you know, 24 hour a day, seven days a week process of a lot more suffering. Yeah. (laughs) What about if people don't really care about getting stronger? And I know that's only one subset, but there are a lot of people who really only care about aesthetics. And so, and they've been taught all you got to do is cardio, you know, calories in, calories out, eat the least amount of calories possible. And then we get into, again, I feel like one of the bigger problems is this sort of, they lose the fat, they lose some fat, they lose weight, but they still don't like the way they look because Mm -hmm. they haven't 
built the muscle up. They don't have that kind of frame that they're actually looking for. Um, because again, they're, they're looking at people, maybe the people that they're looking up to on social media or online or whatever are people who are shilling for like Pilates classes or like vegan smoothies or something. And so they think, they think like, this is what I have to do. It's a lot more work to, to build muscle, right? I mean, it, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but how do you get through to people who are like, yeah, I'm not really in this for like a, an athletic thing. I just want to look better. Well, that was always me, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was very interested in, you know, I, I'm sort of artistically minded. Phil, you can appreciate this, right? Aesthetics. And to me, competing was... Um, it was sort of a courage contest because my story is very similar to yours, Ashley, except that uh, for me, it was like a calling. You know, from the time I was 12 years old, I'm, re I'm listening to Tom Platt and reading articles about it's almost like a calling like a priest. This is something that, you know, you just that's it. You know, that's me. Um, and so I threw myself into it completely. And I can, t I can tell, listening to all you guys, some people, they have to throw themselves into it completely to get a lot of meaning. And some people rather take a more, you know, laissez-faire approach about, let's just see how I can do with this, you know. But for me, the, str the initial strength gains, just getting to the point, I guess, is that that's going to breed the hypertrophy, too. And do you want to have something to unveil when that body fat comes off? Because if not, you're going to get your ass handed to you. <laughs> so, yeah. mm -hmm. yep. What are your thoughts, Phil? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, it's tough when when you have somebody that's just purely aesthetic, and it's making them realize that, uh, like we just talked about, I mean, that, that when they do get that body fat off, they're not going to be looking like they want to look like that the person that they're looking at is carrying 25, 30 pounds more muscle than they are. Yeah. So, and it, it's hard to make them realize that. I mean, you got to have something, like Lonnie said, to unveil. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky now. In that, for the last ten years, I've built a gym that is like seventy percent female. So we have like a large group of women who have been at it for ten years. That new women can come and look on. Oh, look at them! You know, they're strong, and you know. So, so my job is less now because mm -hmm. I put in the work already. So uh, my clients speak for themselves. So <laughs> I don't. It's it's easier for me to convince a new person coming in. Yeah, you just do what Gina's doing. Look, it's working. She's been doing it for nine years and looks pretty good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Let's try that. Yeah. You know? So that walking billboard over there, that's what you want to be, right? Okay, let's go that route. Uh, that makes it easier. But like I said that the groundwork has been laid. You know, I, it's, I, I don't have to talk people into it as much anymore. Um, and then other generalities, I mean, I think in general, women to me are... Uh, easier to coach yes they're they weren't born with a penis so they don't think they know everything as far as the weight room goes but they'll <laughs> listen so um they listen and okay i'll do that you know it's and we try it and then it starts working so whereas especially with the younger kids you know 15 to 25 year old boys they i know everything oh yeah okay yeah, good <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's for me. Yeah, and I think the environment is is so huge too. Because I mean, I've been lucky. We're down in uh, Dr. Ben House's place in uh, Uvita, in the middle of the jungle, where we'd have you know, a lot of fitness professionals would come down there for two weeks of you know learning and lifting, and everybody stayed on on premise, so they you know, cooked all the food, and it was just an awesome experience. And 
I remember, you know, some of the newer people who would get dropped into that environment. Uh, one of them was like, oh, wow, all these women, they look great. They're really strong. And they eat a ton of food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah. But it's it's one thing for a coach to <clears throat> tell you that. It's another thing to be in an environment and to see it yes. actually happening. That's a completely different thing. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think having more examples um, is important. and But, I, of course, the flip side of that, too, is for every person that you see that's super strong and working hard and eating properly and all of those things, you see people who are being super disingenuous um, mm-hmm. online and on social oh, yeah. media who are yeah. completely oh, sure. hiding and lying. And, yes. it goes, and it goes back to, too, actually, um, the news piece that you were talking about, the you know vegetarian and, and bone density and stuff. Like, wasn't it literally a week ago that, or something, sometimes similar, that um, Jillian Michaels went mm-hmm. online and was like, if you eat protein, your bones will dissolve. And it's like, mm-hmm. what? And she <laughs> has a massive audience, you know, oh. like she, to a lot of people, she is like the, you know, health guru. Of course, she had, she cited not zero things um, to talk about this, but it's like, I can understand why people are so confused. Mm-hmm. They don't know who to believe or who to understand. And the vast majority of people either can't or are unwilling to read like actual sort of scientific journals and studies and things that that have some kind of scientific merit a lot of people just are not able to do that and so we rely on people that we think are have our best interests in mind instead of maybe their own um and then we've got jillian michaels telling us if we eat protein our bones are going to fall apart so i mean yeah it's a it's tough yeah god almighty yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's gotten worse because everybody can kind of have a voice now. You know, we've talked about this in the show before, and, and you know this, Ashley, that there's no there's no real gatekeepers, right? Before you had to have an idea, you had to kind of get it past an editor. There was There's some checks and balance, and not all of them were great, but there was some process before you would get access to being able to distribute it to a wider audience, where now that's pretty much gone. Anyone can put up a video and... You know, maybe you're not going to get as much distribution, obviously, as Jillian Michaels. But I think just having that many voices of people who appear to be qualified, whatever you mm-hmm. use to, for that, oh, they got abs. They must know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that just adds to just the mass confusion. Yeah. And speaking of protein, we'll transition a little yeah. bit to uh, the other parts of the cow that you wrote a whole book about that we should be eating. <laughs> I know we talked about in one of the news blurbs, uh, organ meats too, but how did you get into organ meats? Well, now, now I got to watch out for cadmium. So now yeah. I'm all worried. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we can talk about that too. No, but, no kidney. Um, get the cadmium free kidney. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, really, I just, again, kind of going back to when I was at some point in my my early to mid 20s, when I started caring about nutrition for the first time, um, I it was around the time that I was discovering this sort of ancestral health paleo approach. And Mike, we've talked about this before, that people can get really kind of turned off or roll their eyes when they hear any term like keto or paleo or carnivore oh, yeah. or whatever. But, you know, whatever sort of clickbait aside, it was sort of this concept I was learning about, about eating unprocessed whole foods, foods that ideally are local, are fresh, are seasonal, don't have an ingredients list, all of that stuff. 
really kind of made a whole lot of sense to me as a starting point for health and nutrition, right? And I'm I'm not dogmatic. I'll eat a pop tart. I have you know I I have a sweet tooth. I, I, I checks and balances, right? I like to live my life and enjoy myself, but I think having having a baseline um, of understanding how our bodies react to food and what we absorb and what we need um, and what we require, I think is it just makes a lot of sense and it always did. So that's something that I still kind of largely here to. And for me, I was always very much sort of protein forward. Again, going back to that love and muscle thing, I just kind of, I I was fortunate that I didn't have to cover that hurdle of thinking that eating red meat was going to kill me or turn me into a man. So I've always kind of been very, very, and, and I think just even physiologically, I always was just drawn to protein. So that was something that I was always into. And as I was, again, kind of growing in my career and, and, learning more about this and talking to experts and and seeing the divisiveness online between it's very plant-based versus animal-based and it's it's very morality um, based and everybody's kind of mad at each other for various reasons and I just kind of wanted to understand a little bit more about how you can um, be a part of you know the life cycle and how you can be an omnivore which we are in a way that is as um, least destructive as healthy to the planet as healthy to our bodies as possible and in all of that research I'm starting to understand the concept of like really um, making use of the entire animal what no to tail really means um, wasting as little food as possible. And, and as I'm doing that research, I'm learning that not only are we wasting a lot of the animal or giving it away to other people, we're giving it a, we're giving the most nutrient dense parts mm. of the play. Um, and so that part that like, it just something clicked with me and I'm like, look, this doesn't make any sense. And there are cultures throughout the world and throughout all of history until very recently, it's really only a very small subsection of the planet that thinks that this is extreme and weird. Um, the rest of the world is totally on board already because that's just the way they've always eaten and the way that they continue to eat. Um, and so I was, you know, kind of experimenting and trying some things for myself and, um, and sharing some of that on social media and people were, freaked out but also really interested and and I thought maybe there's something to this maybe people are interested and I think just the heightened interest that people have around food choices in general um, I felt really strongly that this was something that I wanted people to know more about and I wanted people to have more of an open mind around and also look at it you know similar to the way we were talking about bodybuilding and competing earlier like just looking at it like an adventure and an experiment and something positive and fun that you're learning from instead of this is weird and scary and I'm not interested or I do it because I have to, you know, like no one wants to look at their, their health or nutrition or fitness journey, like a chore that they have to get through to get an end result. You know, you want to, you want to look at the food that you eat and the workouts that you do as something that's a part of your life that you enjoy that enriches you. Right. And I, I wanted people to know that, that this can be a part of it. I didn't grow up eating organ meats. I, um, you know, I didn't grow up knowing really how to cook or any of that kind of stuff that wasn't really a part of my upbringing and I had to teach myself and it was intimidating at at times but it was also incredibly rewarding and incredibly fun and, and I learned so much and I also feel like my health has been positively impacted as well so 
um, yeah, it, you know, when I, when I had the idea to write the book, I was like, maybe four people will buy it and they'll all be family members, but I <laughs> want to do it anyway. And, uh, and I've been really kind of pleased actually with the response and people just kind of willing to give it a shot, you know? So it's, it's been really, really fun. That's awesome. And yeah. I think you eat all parts of the animals you have there, don't you, Phil? Yeah. I mean, I just, I was going to say, we, I just harvest, harvested a deer on last Sunday. Oh, nice. And the first thing we ate was the heart and the liver and then process it down and every bit of bones went into a big pot and it's still cooking now and we get everything as much as we possibly can. I mean, I won't eat the fur. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably good. You, know, you um, wear yeah, that we in the winters. Do it all. I mean, from making bone broth to we render down all the fat and keep it, we do, we do everything. So we don't waste a bit. That's the way so. to do it. And if you I mean, if you're a hunter, that's like that's one big group that I also didn't have to convince, which is awesome, is you know, people who hunt and and understand the process of harvesting their own animals are much less likely to be flippant about wasting all of it. You know, they're gonna eat all of it. Um, so it's been really cool. I, I think I was telling you, Mike, the other day that I just did my hunter safety course and my yeah. Gun safety course, because that's that's going to be the next step for me is, um, you know, I've gotten very comfortable with kind of breaking things down and, and preparing all the parts, but I want to be, you know, a part of the entire kind of process. So that's going to be um, sort of my next goal. But um, yeah. Very cool. And as we wrap up here, uh, what would be the one place for people listening they could get started with organ meats? Obviously, your book is a good resource for that, but once they pick up the book, what area should they, they flip to to give it a go? Well, in the book, I mean, I talk about, I have a, a pretty significant sort of front of book section where I'm kind of like introducing the concept and the cultural aspects to it and the historic aspects to it. And I also break down every single part by their health benefits and how to prep it and how to cook it and how other cultures do that. Um, and also the book has, like I said, sort of every animal as well as every part. So you don't I, I often tell people if they're looking to get started, there are a couple ways to kind of like dip your toe in if you're interested, but a little bit intimidated. And some of those ways include having like, if you are able to go to a restaurant, I don't know where you live, um, have a professional kind of make it for you, like try ordering some some pate or liver or sweetbreads or things like that. Have somebody who knows what they're doing, do it for you first so you can see, see the best way that it can be. Um, and maybe things like start with smaller animals because often, um, you know, the smaller the game or the smaller the animal, the milder tasting something is going to be. So like chicken liver, chicken hearts are really palatable and, and easy to um, eat versus maybe like bison kidney is going to be a really strong flavor <laughs> for a lot of people, right? You want to work your way up. Some people love it, you know. Um, but and then the book, of course, has like super easy recipes to make all the way up to pretty not necessarily challenging if I can do it, anybody can do it, but just more sort of adventurous kind of um, more steps and things like that. But, um, you know, and, and there's lots of great online if you're not ready to go out and source it yourself, much less hunt it yourself. There are quite a few good online resources these days that can, um, you know, like some of these like nationwide shipping, high quality beef and meat, um, places like Belcampo or U.S. Wellness Meats where you can get um, pre-ground meat that has organs in it. So you can make your burgers or your meatballs or whatever that also are sort of supercharged with this this organ meat that you didn't have to do it yourself, right? So you can kind of experiment with some of that. 
make the foods you already like, just make them a little bit more nutritious. I mean, that's the best way to, to start incorporating things like that into your diet. You don't have to go from zero to 100, you know, just make a burger, but that burger has a little bit of liver in it. There you go. Yeah. If I can, I ask something real quick. I know we're out of yeah. time here, almost. Yep. But so, so this is a lot of the how. But yes. can you can you share just a cliff notes of the why? Like, what nutrition is superior in organ meats? That's what I'm getting curious about. As yes. So, I mean, if we've, we, most of us probably listening, except that sort of animal protein is a superior source of, of most nutrition, I think, bioavailable for human beings, right? Like if you want to talk about um, protein, of course, but also things like iron and B vitamins and um, A vitamins and uh, antioxidants and things like that, that you get from meat versus like trying to gather that from legumes and, and salad and stuff like that it's just even more concentrated in organs. And so different organs will have higher concentrations of different things like heart, for example, which is one of my favorites um, because it is a muscle meat. So it actually has like a nice kind of steaky, beefy texture. It's really easy, I think, for people to get their head around. Like that has tons of protein. It has iron. It has B12, selenium, CoQ10, which is a really great antioxidant. And they're just in higher concentrations than anything else so if you want you know your best best bang for your buck if you even if you're somebody who's trying to for ethical or whatever reasons you want to eat less meat but you recognize that it is an important part of your diet you can eat organ meats and you can eat a lot less of it and get the health benefits um that you'd be getting from like a protein forward diet so it's kind of like an efficiency thing um as well as you know making use of the animal and being respectful and and sustainable and all of those things it just boils down to like pound for pound there is nothing more nutritious than than beef liver very cool awesome well thank you so much for all your time today we really appreciate it Uh, where can the listeners find more about your your book it takes guts where can they pick it up and where can they learn more about everything else that you have to offer yeah, thank you guys so much for your time I appreciate it Um, yeah I mean you can uh, I'm, I'm online most on instagram so you can say hi to me or reach out there um on instagram at the muscle maven is my handle and my website is just my name ashleyvanhouten.com you can sign up for my newsletter all my information about the book and all the other stuff i'm doing is there and you can reach out to me there and then i also um have my podcast which is called muscle maven radio and you can uh listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts awesome thank you so much really appreciate it thank you Thank you. Thank you. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians 
athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.